Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. The spin cycle from the Biden administration is flat out out of control, but you can't walk it back. You cannot do what you cannot do. You can try and change the topic. And there's a story out today that's a good one. I applaud it. I cheer it. I'm only sorry it didn't happen in my beloved Indiana. Intel is building a new chip factory in Ohio. Columbus, Ohio. It's a $20 billion investment. And they're going to build semiconductors. It's go- it could very well possibly be the biggest semiconductor plant facility operation in the planet or on the planet this is good this is excellent news i am absolutely positively thrilled to hear it and as i said i mean i got myself choked up just thinking about it i'm only sorry it didn't happen in my state i'm only sorry it didn't happen here did I say hello, Tony Katz, Tony Katz today? The phone number, 833-GOT-TONY. I'm Tony Katz, 833-468-8669. That is the number. Happy to speak to you. And Joe Biden talked about this today. And I, I, I would argue you got every reason in the world, every reason in the world to be very, very excited about this and to be and to be cheering about it. Pat just laid out today's uh, big announcement by one of America's most important companies. This historic investment for Ohio, one of the largest investment in semiconductor manufacturing in American history. A brand new $20 billion campus outside of Columbus, Ohio. 7,000 construction jobs. 3,000 full-time jobs. And I was kidding Pat earlier. I said, I may need a job. And he, I said, well, it's not bad. You start over 100,000 bucks on the line. But I got to get some training. But look. You need some training for the job you have now. And I think it is just precious that Biden would say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need a job. Yeah, America thinks so too in three years. But listen to the deal. At, 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 at the singular... Look, to be able to say made in Ohio, made in America, is what we used to always be able to say 25, 30 years ago. That's what this is about. But folks at home might be wondering why is such a big deal for manufacturing something so small, the size of a postage stamp? Why is that so important? Well, semiconductors are small computer chips that power virtually everything in our lives. Your phone, your car, your refrigerator, your washing machine, hospital equipment, the internet, the electric grid, and so much more. And here's the deal. America invented these chips. America invented these chips. And federal research and development led to the creation of these chips. Taxpayer dollars. These chips helped power NASA mission to the moon. The federal investment helped bring down the cost of making chips to build a market and an entire industry. As a result, over 30 years ago, America had about 40% of global production. But since that time, something happened. American manufacturing, the backbone of our economy, got hollowed out. 
Companies move jobs and production overseas, especially from in the industrial Midwest. Decades ago, we used to invest 2% of our gross domestic product in research and development. Let me say it again. We invested 2% decades ago of our gross domestic product in pure research and development. Today, it's less than 1%. We were ranked number one in the world in R&D. But guess what? We now rank number nine. China was number eight in the world three decades ago. Now they're number two. So if we want to now make the argument that we need to, therefore, be working more on production in the U.S., I, I don't see anything wrong with that. I cheer that. But one of the ways you bring more manufacturing back to the United States is the recognition that you can't have onerous rules and regulations that prevent the manufacturing in the United States. To wit, he has to look at his own party. He has to look at what they have put forth in terms of blockades via regulation on the opportunities that he says are so incredibly necessary. Because I argue, yes, they are incredibly necessary. I'm cheering this. I'm thrilled that it's happening. I, I, I'll do. I only wish it could have happened in Indiana. Meantime, there's a story going on across the country that I guarantee you, media ain't going to want to cover. A stage of life, including the earliest stages in life. Every life has inherent human dignity and every life matters. Every life should be protected from the moment of conception or fertilization. To quote Martin Luther King, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Equality begins in the womb. Reinvent your way beyond today. This is Nearly the March for Life. Years ago, tomorrow. This is happening in Washington, D.C. right now. You get a million or so people who show up year after year after year after year for this. And you have mainstream media refusing to cover it. They don't cover it. They never, ever cover it. If you've known me for a while, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you'll, you'll know where I am. I am a pro-life guy. I don't engage the conversation that much. I'm a pro-life guy, but my real issue with Roe v. Wade is that it usurps the authority of the states. I know. I think that bothers some people. I, if I'm with you, I'm with you. I, I, I don't think I'm, I'm interested in, in lectures. I get the point. But I do worry greatly about the usurpation of the, of the Constitution. I worry greatly that the Supreme Court can create rules and laws out of whole cloth. Supreme Court doesn't create law. They don't create law. They shouldn't create law. They're not, you know, and that shouldn't. They can't. And I'm in favor of fighting that. Anytime they think they can create law, I think it should be fought. The Obergefell decision on same-sex marriage. I oppose that decision. Why? Because they created a law out of whole cloth. If Congress wants to recognize same-sex marriages, you, you can write a law. To say that it exists, it doesn't. Further, and here's the big one, same-sex marriage is winning in state after state after state. Okay, that's how you do it. 
You change culture, you change minds, this is how you do it. So the Obergefell decision falls into that area of it doesn't matter whether or, not I th- whether or not I think two men or two women can spend their lives together. I can. It's fine by me. The Supreme Court cannot create law. They cannot create something out of whole cloth. They can't just say, well, we decide it's there. No, it's there or it's not. This is my objection. And I object to the idea that you can have millions of people show up year after year after year after year to talk about uh, being pro-life and you have a media apparatus that refuses to recognize them. But if you find a group of nine people screaming about abortion rights, they'll have 52 cameras. Like it's the most important nine people in the world. It's like the Beatles each had a baby and then Ringo had an extra because you know he got around. Action. We need you to remain vigilant and ready for action. Are you up for the challenge? All right, then let me ask you a couple questions. We'll get to the questions. We'll have more of this. Jen Psaki is supposed to be having a briefing. We'll see if she gets to that. The spin. I mean, that's how I started this conversation. The spin from Jen Psaki. The spin from this White House. You can't spin what you said. You called people who disagreed with you white supremacists. And you gave Russia the green light to start a war. Can't spin it. It's all coming up next. I'm Tony Katz. School boards have taken a position, and I shouldn't say it's all school boards, but school boards have taken a position that somehow it is the parent who is the problem when addressing the school board. How else could you possibly explain the Department of Justice referring to parents as domestic terrorists? It was the National School Board Association that made that recommendation, engaged that letter that was actually solicited from them by the Secretary of Education, Cardona. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, it is so good to be with you. But I wanted to share with you... Um. This is a uh, school in Northern Virginia. And it is a father who has come in front of a school board. See, I think it's a school board, yeah. And he wants to know how the rules work. How do you find out the rules of a school? And he is in 27 levels of pain as you're going to hear regarding something that happened with his high school-aged daughter. I want the public to know. That's why I come here, because I want the public to know. So so we we won't be answering you, but you can certainly keep asking. Well, I mean, mean, I want to know the the school's definition of sexual assault, because my daughter was told that she's standing right there, that if it's above the clothes, it's not sexual assault. And that's the way the county... Does the kids here? It's, it's messed up. That's my daughter. And no one wants to do nothing about it. Suspend the boy for one day for improper touching. And I don't think that's right. So somebody needs to do something. 
somebody needs to look in the matter and do something because there's more kids out there that y'all not doing nothing and letting stuff slide under. And the only person that's hurting is the kids. And I don't think it's right. Somebody needs to look into the matter and, and do what y'all need to do because it, and, and, and I like to have an investigation because, because I'm pretty sure if it happened to her, it's happened to plenty of children here. The question for school board members is, was this father out of line? I'm a father. I don't know if if you are or or aren't. I don't think you need to be a father to hear what pain sounds like. But I do want to take a moment and putting myself in in those shoes to engage a bit of a conversation. And I would love to ask this man the question. There are people playing this video and sharing it. There's a full video. Uh, they're, they're, They're ready to do anything to help. There is something to to the point that I could properly put my finger on it. There is something rather humiliating about having to go in front of a school board and say, why, why won't you help me get justice for my daughter? As, as as a father, and, and I, I think fathers can appreciate it, certainly I think men can appreciate it. This is not to say that women can't appreciate it, but I do think there is something to the idea of men in this case. Protecting your family is a sense of pride, is a sense of accomplishment. Uh, maybe better said, it is a sense of duty. There is no question... None in my mind that I feel a sense of duty to protect my family, to care for my my family, to provide for my family. There is no question that this is true. And there is no question that I am a man who believes in the rule of law. And there is no question that I am somebody who could see my way clear to great vengeance on the personal levels, which is something that always seems to shock people. I have never said that I shouldn't be punished if I engage in vengeance. I know myself. And if my daughter is sexually assaulted and I know who did it, I don't know if I have the strength not to respond. I'm sorry, is the honesty too much? Is the recognition of my own self too much? Note, I am not claiming a perfection. I am exposing to you and sharing with you what could be described as a flaw. But I know it about myself. I always have. That I think you got to follow the rules. I think the laws matter. I think the rule of law matters. And the rule of law has to remain. But I should not be in charge of the justice system when I am discussing a family member of mine who has been abused. I think a lot of people understand that. The question for the school board is, 
is it okay for this man to bring this to you? Or is this, like reading a book in the school library, just too offensive and pornographic? If a school board member is a problem with this, this father begging for help, the school board member needs to quit. You're not worth a good holy damn. You're too weak. You're too fragile. You don't know how to do the job. You got to go. I don't care if you like me. I don't care if we're friends. Don't you get it? We're through the looking glass and you are the problem. Because you think a guy like this shouldn't come to you. And that, of course, is if you don't think they should come to you. But he tell me that a father had to go to a school board meeting to find out what the rules are because couldn't get any other help anyway? In any other way? That seems very... That seems very odd indeed. Jen Psaki, White House Press Secretary, she's speaking right now. To reduce risk, to advance arms control, to build trust. We're coordinating uh, with our allies and partners, and we anticipate uh, that Secretary Blinken and Foreign Minister Lavrov will meet again to continue discussions. And the president obviously is regularly... Spin away. Spin away, Jen Psaki. Spin away all you wish. It ain't gonna help. The president said he isn't bothered by minor incursions. Does it matter what the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, said? And I first want to begin by thanking Switzerland for hosting us for its traditional uh, hospitality, which is very much appreciated. Uh, I came to Geneva following uh, up on last week's discussions uh, at the U.S.-Russia Strategic Stability Dialogue, the NATO-Russia Council, and the OSC on the crisis in Ukraine and broader European security issues. Our objective was to determine whether Russia is prepared uh, to take the diplomatic path and other necessary steps to de-escalate the situation in Ukraine and ultimately uh, to resolve our differences through diplomacy and through dialogue. The discussion today with Minister Lavrov was frank and substantive. And won't change a damn thing. Russia has amassed itself on the Ukrainian border. They have put troops in Belarus, which borders Ukraine from the north. They can absolutely march to Kiev and take the eastern part of the nation. And the president of the United States said, if it's a minor incursion, can't deny reality. Jen is going to answer questions. I'm going to do what I can to bring those to you. And... The January 6th committee got hold of Trump's phone calls and emails. So what happens next? I've got that as well. It's Tony Katz today. Voter suppression. That's what Republicans are guilty of now. Don't listen to me. How about Jen Psaki? Mental baseline of what people can know and expect. If you're a mother of three, you should be able to have many places you can drop off your ballot or vote. This is not a replacement for that. In terms of a vehicle or what's possible, I don't have anything on that to read out for you. Just very quickly, it seems like there are going to be some discussions um, during break between lawmakers, bipartisan lawmakers, about the Electoral Mm -hmm. Crown Act and where they can find consensus on this. What can we expect the president's role to be, given that he's been very clear he is going to be taking a new strategy as it relates to reaching out to the American public. 
Well, the president can walk and chew gum at the same time. I think what people ah! can expect is that he's going to spend more of his time engaging <laughs> with, talking with the American people and talking about how far we've come and where we need to go from here. He also has a very talented and experienced team that's already engaged in a range of conversations with Congress. Uh, but I can tell you from spending a lot of time uh, with the president and in, his, in the Oval Office with him that sometimes he just picks up the phone and calls a member of Congress or a senator when you're sitting there. So no one's suggesting that he's not going to engage with members. What we're conveying and what you heard from him the other night is that uh, as you look at the time he's going to spend over the next couple of months, it's not going to be hours and hours behind closed doors in the Oval Office. Go ahead. Thank you, Jen. Um, why would the U.S. agree to submit written answers to Russia, given that it could undermine or be used to discredit the U.S. negotiating position? And is the U.S. asking for any written responses from Russia? Well, no one sees it that way from the U.S. negotiating team or from our partners and allies around the world. Uh, I think what we're engaged in here is seeing what's possible as it relates to diplomacy. And as I noted, it's not just it's not written answers like we're filling out a Q&A. We're also going to convey what our concerns are and reiterate a number of the strong statements you've heard the president and Secretary Blinken convey very publicly. They have not made strong statements. They have made catch-up statements trying to spin what it is that they have said. No one believes in the strength of Joe Biden. That is different than the argument of should the United States get involved in what's going on in Ukraine. And I'll explain to you what that written thing is in a second, but this is Jackie Heinrich asking the questions. And after President Biden insulted her, she's from Fox News, I want to hear what happens. I've been advising that U.S. citizens should be aware of reports that Russia is planning for significant military action against Ukraine. Uh, we do conduct rigorous contingency planning, as we always do in the event of the security, the, any security situation deteriorates in any country around the world. The State Department uh, does that assessment. I would point you to them for any, uh, any predictions or previews of any steps they may take. Is there any effort right now to get a handle on how many Americans are in Ukraine, because I remember with Afghanistan, that was sort of an open question. Is the dynamic different this time? It's an open question around the world. We don't put a chip in Americans when they go to countries around the world and track their movements. Um, people can register with the State Department. That's something they do. Or they may choose not to register. Or there might be people in any country around the world who are dual citizens who haven't lived in or have never lived in the United States. Um, but the State Department would certainly have the number in terms of Americans who have registered with the State Department. And then is the president aware that he was caught on a hot mic yesterday? And why does he appear to be dismissing the idea of proactive deterrence? Uh, well, the president certainly does not dismiss that idea, considering he has taken a lot of steps, including uh, supporting uh, and approving the uh, several sanctions that were put out by the Treasury Department just a couple of days ago. I would note that the United States has delivered more security assistance to Ukraine in the last year than any point in history. In the last year alone, we committed $650 million in security assistance to Ukraine. In total, since 2014, we have committed $2.7 billion. These deliveries are ongoing, including today. There's more deliveries coming. In addition to traditional security assistance, such as the Ukraine Security Assistance Initiative, the president has authorized the presidential drawdown authority to expedite lethal aid and meet Ukraine's emergency defense needs. We've also utilized third-party transfers authorized by the State Department, allowing U.S. allies and partners to provide U.S. origin equipment from their inventories for use by Ukraine. Specifically, the State Department has given the go-ahead for three NATO allies to rush anti-armor missiles and other U.S.-made weapons to Ukraine. And finally, 
finally, in identifying additional equipment held in DOD inventories that can be delivered under the Excess uh, Defense Articles Program, among other mechanisms, we recently notified Congress of our intent to deliver M-17 helicopters. So I would say the President is hardly waiting. Actions are pretty clear on that front. And I want to ask you about something that you said yesterday. Sure. I got to tell you. You told me. Hold on, wait. In response to it, it was a Ukraine question. Um, it's important to remember who the aggressor is here. The aggressor is Russia and Putin. They are building up military troops. They are pushing out misinformation in Ukraine. So why does it seem like U.S. officials are so concerned about being seen as escalating things if Russia has created this whole crisis? Because I think we want the American public and also the global community to be clear-eyed about propaganda. No, I, I think that what you should be focused on is about Russia not invading Ukraine and letting your friends know that you actually have their back. That would be uh, the proper thing. But that Jackie Heinrich thing, oh, that's awesome. Let me take you back to yesterday I don't know where this was in the White House. Jackie Heinrich asks a question. And the question is, why, Mr. President, are you waiting on Putin to make the first move? Now, you can agree or disagree that it's a good question. Fine by me. Agree or disagree. We do that all the time. That's what we do, guys. We listen to things. We look at things. We're like, eh, maybe. All right, cool. That's what we do. She asks this question. Ah, dang you. Dang you. Sorry, I'm having some audio issues, and I'm not sure why it's happening. Why are you waiting on uh, on Putin to make the first move? And Biden responds by laughing, and on a hot mic, he says, what a stupid question. If, If Donald Trump had said of a reporter, what a stupid question. It's an attack on the free press. It's an attack on America. This guy is a dictator. He's going to put you all back in chains. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That was Joe Biden talking about Mitt Romney. Can you imagine Mitt Romney's going to put you all back in chains? And then the other day, he's talking about what a nice guy Mitt Romney is, is, is Joe Biden. Good Lord. Put you all back in chains. What a despicable person. But here's Jackie Heinrich asking a question. And you can not answer the question. But he said, what a stupid question. So Jackie Heinrich says uh, the president was caught on a hot mic dismissing a a, a question. But uh, what about it? What I appreciate in that, and you heard it. I mean, it was in the most polite way possible. What I appreciate about it is that she made it about the question not about her. The total opposite of Jim Acosta and a host of others. She had the President of the United States say what a stupid question about her. And instead of making it all about her, instead of going on some full-on kind of attack, instead of, instead of getting destructive, you know, uh, putting herself on the cross, she focuses on the job of a reporter. I respect that. I appreciate that very, very much. And I've had the chance to, you know, be on uh, uh, Fox. I've done uh, weekend stuff with her. I think she's. I think she's great. I, I like Griff too. I like Griff Jenkins, and they just launched the whole new 
Saturday night schedule. So now it's uh, Kilmeade f- doing Fox and Friends and then doing, you know, his radio show is now going to be doing an hour show on Saturday nights. Uh, and, and then um, uh, Bongino is, is there. And Lawrence Jones. Lawrence Jones got himself an hour on Saturdays. That was, that's where uh, that's where Jesse Waters learned his skill set to be able to be five days a week. So excellent, excellent spot for Lawrence Jones to be in. He's a good dude. Started young, started small. Uh, you guys may remember him from doing stuff with uh, uh, Dana Lash over at the Blaze when she was at the Blaze and I certainly remember him from those days and has built himself up and built himself up and has done the work. It's, it's great to see. It is great to see. What, what I have come to understand is there's no longer, and this is very, very true, because as a guy in, in it, I, I went through this. I, I, I had to go, I had to put myself through all the steps. There is no understanding who gets a gig and who doesn't. And very rarely does it have to do with talent. Right? One of the things that I don't have is an eye for talent. I have an eye for people I like. I have an eye for things that, that, that I like. I have, I have an eye for recognizing when, when I'm like, that was a really good question or that was really ridiculous. But how do those in positions of power See their brand and everything. I don't. I have no idea. I have no idea how they how they see it. I don't have a single negative word to say about Lawrence Jones or Brian Kilmeade or Dan Bongino. Not not a, not a single thing. They've all been totally lovely to me, and I hope I've been lovely to them. Do I know for fact that I am equal to the task in in hosting a show? Of course I do. What does that matter? And so I have done a fair amount of things with, with all these networks. And I would tell you that before COVID, because I've been asked this question. Because before COVID, I was doing Fox three days a week. And I was flying out. Uh, they were flying me out. I was flying out to do stuff with them in New Hampshire and, and other places. And, and then COVID hit and then it was only doctors. And then, well, that was that. I've been through this before, though. People don't know my history. I, during an election season, often do a lot. And then after the election season, I don't. I, I have never figured out the code to crack with Fox. And it used to bother me. It used to bother me tremendously. And then, I, I don't know if it was age. I didn't know if it was technology. I didn't know if it was just taking a step back and taking a breath and saying, what is it that I'm after? What matters? And one of the things that I I, I came to after really looking at it is, yeah, I don't want to do any of those shows. I want to do a talk show. I want to engage the way I do. I don't want to have somebody on where we're going to back and forth and then I'm going to have to interrupt them and it's going to be talking point this and screaming that. I don't want any of that. Full disclosure, I hate that. What do I want to do? I want to sit with people, smoke cigars, and I want smart people to tell me smart things and then be able to ask questions about it. Like, that's all I want to do. And this, I want to engage with you. I want to hear from you. I want to... 
I want to share these stories, share these ideas, share a thought, share a thesis. And how in the world can you do that when you're talking in 72-second sound bites? It's like the punditry. The reason you do punditry, the reason you go on and you talk about something is because it's good to have your face seen, right? We're in a business. Is anyone going to deny this? Going on Fox, going on Newsmax, going on News Nation now for the for the pundit. That's your version of a sex tape. I, how else do I possibly describe this thing? <laughs> Me and Kim Kardashian have a lot in common. So it, it's it's important, but there comes a moment where they put you on with somebody who's just so out of control. You're like, this is ridiculous. It's a four-minute segment. I'm going to get to speak for 72 seconds, and I'm going to have somebody yelling over me? Nah. That isn't what I want to be. That's not... For, to, to just have one more hit and get on Fox one more time or get on TV one more time, I'm not even, I'm not even mad at Fox on that. I appreciate when I get to come on, because lately, when I do go on, I'm actually able to talk. And this is true of Newsmax, and this is true of News Nation now. It's been a pleasure to be able to give a full and complete thought to an idea. An absolute pleasure. And I do think that there is a place for me on TV. But I don't, I don't sweat it anymore. It used to drive me. And I've just, I've, I've no, no, it doesn't drive me. If only because there, there, there's, it isn't the thing I want to begin with. I don't want to do punditry. I don't want to do 72 second sound bites. I, I, no, thank you. No, thank you. I want to sit and talk and share and have a cigar and do live events and understand people. And if I can do all of that and support my family, I win. I win. Some guys want to run biomed companies. God bless them. I got no interest. I want to see good people succeed. I want to see people who put in the work get the results of their work. There's nothing worse than watching somebody who didn't earn it get it. But sometimes it happens. In this case, talking about that Saturday night lineup on Fox, I think they earned it. Kilmeade might be the only guy in America who does more than I do. Bongino, that guy works crazy hard. And Lawrence patiently built himself up. I love every bit of it. Every single bit of it. Now what I want to see is these kinds of things build up in Newsmax and in News Nation now. The more, the merrier. For sure. I'm Tony Katz. Nancy Pelosi clearly on the side of parents because sometimes you have to be prepared to throw a punch for the children. My whole mission in Congress is about the children, for the children. As you heard me say, you're in the arena. You have to be prepared to take a punch. You have to be prepared to throw a punch for the children for the children. And so we'll be dealing with issues that relate to antitrust and Section 230 and what damage that does to children and the rest. Anytime she talks about for the children, I find myself less and less believing her. 
I, I, I never liked your policies, but it's it's now it's just it's not possible to listen to her without feeling that you are just getting lied to in a way that it, that it's and it's hateful. Hey, it's vicious. You're just in her way. You're ruining her legacy. Does anyone really believe that Nancy Pelosi's in it for the children? I mean, I, I got to admit, I, on the on the surface, it's like a that's a rough thing to say. You're not. T- someone says they 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 care about children. You're like, yeah, sure you do. That's that's cynical nonsense. What has she done to show that she cares about children? What is the proof of this? That she says so? That she had five kids of her own? I, I don't think having children is the proof that you care about children. That's a weird way of saying go breeders, which I thought were bad people. I get confused sometimes. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz.